0: history happened everywhere the verdict this is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode number 63 fiction in italy during the renaissance so if you haven't listened to that go back and check it out or else you will find spoilers ahead
1: and you want to get me annoyed don't you well you'll be the one who's annoyed later
0: Hello, my name is Pete Goddard, and I am here in the HHE studio with the Chaucer to my Boccaccio. It's Mr. Ryan Weir.
1: Verily <laughs> <Fairly> true.
0: <laughs> you see, I'm the original line. Yeah, game. I steal everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we're joined, as ever, by the determined diviner of deceit, it's the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. Hello. It's been a long time, Judge Dursley. Well, yes, you've been out of office for a while, so... We have been out of office, that's true, we're out of practice, that's for certain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Now, Ryan, it's your turn this week, but I'm finding it difficult to unravel fact from fiction. So maybe you could just give me a 60 second reminder of what we talked about. Okay, so when do you want me to do that? I think you should do it now.
2: In this week's episode, we travelled back to the Renaissance to visit three notable men, each famous for their part in creating fiction. First up, we met Boccaccio, the author of a 100 Tales and inspiration to a young Geoffrey Chaucer. Next, we met Machiavelli, the evil teacher whose best-selling how-to guide for budding tyrants caused an outrage at the time, but still remains popular among the rich and powerful today. And finally, we joined Christopher Columbus as he conned, swindled and connived his way around the new world. There 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 was barrels of wine, there was frozen scholars, there was microwave pizza and bags of Parmesan. It was fiction in Italy during the Renaissance. That was last week's episode summarise nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley Who's gonna tell you what he thought of thee, he'll take you apart without any care He's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely
0: Paul Dursley Yes, it's all come flooding back to me. I had a marvellous time. I enjoyed it thoroughly. But my opinion is as nothing. The question is, Mr Dursley, was it fiction or friction for you?
1: Ah, I see what you've done there.
0: Generally, are you aware of the Renaissance? I can only imagine you're very familiar with the period. I know a little bit about it, yes. Well, not as much as me, because I've studied it (laughs) a lot. For, for literally two weeks. <laughs>
2: well,
1: I think I do. Oh, OK. Who's your favourite Renaissance man? Do you mean by man during the Renaissance or do you mean Renaissance man, which is a generic term that's been used since the Renaissance? God, he does know more than me. It's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point, actually. It's such a profound period of time that it now just means anyone who's smart in lots of ways, doesn't it? Very true, yeah. It's like become a
1: catch-all term, has not
0: it? Yeah, but I think Ryan meant someone from the period of the Renaissance. Renaissance
1: well I suppose I'm gonna to have to go over the obvious mr. Leonardo da Vinci
0: ah Leonardo da
2: Vinci yeah we started off didn't we talking about da Vinci do you remember you said that I
0: was your Vitruvian man I did say that yes mm. well I did a little bit of research about the Vitruvian man was it because you wanted to look at the pictures of the naked man
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it's one of his most famous works um, but it turns out it wasn't ever meant to be shown it was just like a little personal sketch in his his little notebook. <laughs> it
1: was probably a picture
2: of his lover. Well, it's interesting because uh, they're not sure who the body is. They think it's his face. It was a self-portrait. He put his head on what is a cadaver's body. Right. If um, I was
0: an artist and I was self portraying he'd be pretty buff and have six-pack of abs as well.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
2: but uh, lecturer Hutan Ashrafian pointed out that the body was likelier from a cadaver that had actually died from a hernia. And we know that because if you look at the picture, just above his little man area (laughs) there is in fact a hernia drawn and so yeah he thinks that it's it would have been days after having killed him that that's what da vinci then drew but uh yeah it was all based on the roman architect vitruvius's theory about human proportions saying that a man could be made to fit perfectly inside a circle and inside a square oh but there's a lot of theories that go around with that including that the ratios themselves reflect not
0: just man but indeed all of creation. Well if everything fits in them, that doesn't really t- tell you anything, does it? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well that's rubbish because a snake doesn't fit those proportions. I can make a snake into a circle easily. And that circle <laughs> could fit in a box. And a square probably as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not when that not if you put the snake stretched out like Vitruvian man is. He's ruined the joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh- <laughs>
2: So what's your favourite of da Vinci's inventions?
1: I quite like the parachute he came up with.
2: Yeah? Because it was like square, wasn't it? (laughs) Was it? It had like a rigid bottom. Do you think he
1: ever tried it? No, I don't think so. I mean, they had plenty of high buildings that he could have jumped off of, right? Oh, yeah. So what's that place that used to build towers as a pissing contest? Where there was a competition between the noble families about who could build the tallest tower?
2: Judge Dursley is referring to the Towers of Bologna in Italy. Nicknamed La Torreta, the city was famous between the 12th and 13th centuries for its 180 towers. These towers were built by wealthy local families as a symbol of their power and as a defense system. These families competed with each other to see who could build the tallest towers. Over the centuries, many towers have been torn down or simply collapsed. Only 24 towers remain in Bolina today the most famous being the 48-meter Garazenda Tower and the 97-meter Osinelli Tower. Thank you. Imagine you build a tower and then your neighbour builds one that's just one inch taller.
0: I think I read somewhere there was a theory that actually the building of giant towers is a signifier that precedes a recession. Is that right? Uh, I don't know how true that was, but uh, I've got a faint memory of uh, reading that somewhere. It's, uh,
1: yeah, it's coincidental rather than causal. Because, uh, you know, uh, towers are the worst type of building to work in. You know, you can never get in in the morning because of the lifts. Uh, Then you have to sort of keep on going up and down different floors because each floor is really tiny i tell you what, though, talking about
2: um, Renaissance men, there was a tremendous amount of people to look through in terms of research for this episode.
0: I was going to ask this. You weren't tempted to pick up Da Vinci or uh, one of
2: his more famous colleagues? I was, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, Dante Alighieri was a huge part of my research for a long period of time, but didn't quite fit into the overall scope. And then when I found and discovered Boccaccio and and his work, it just fitted in neater with the the rest of the stories and the overall theme of deception and, and lying.
1: How many circles of hell are we going to get into here?
2: <laughs> yeah, so he wrote a lot of things. Uh, his most famous work was Divine
1: Comedy. I didn't know he was in an Irish pop group. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you know about the pop group. That's quite <laughs> so impressive and surprising, isn't it? <laughs> On the National Express. I know
0: that one.
2: Take the National Express when you're- Goodness. He's really pulled out all his pop knowledge today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. But there's some interesting stuff about Dante, and I did want to share that. So a lot of his work is devoted to a woman called Beatrice. Now, he met Beatrice at just nine years old. But when she died young, he entered into a state of deep grief that basically permeated through the rest of his life. He wrote love sonnets dedicated to her perfection. In the Divine Comedy, Beatrice, he represents as an angel who guides him through paradise and to God. Now, all of that sounds super romantic, except Dante was married to a woman called Gemma Donati, and he was betrothed to her at the age of 12. Now, unlike Beatrice, Gemma was never mentioned in any of his work. (laughs) Uh, And side note, Dante and Gemma, they had four children, the youngest of which was called Antonia, and she later went on to become a nun, where she changed her name to Sister Beatrice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the, the name beatrice really st- stuck around in the in the dante family i can imagine that first copy of the book comes in it's like who's this, is this Beatrice <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, side, side note, Dante's grief, it turns out, may have had something to do with his legendary memory. An example of this is a legend that in Florence, Dante had a favourite writing spot. He would go there every day and he would sit there and write and he would watch the construction of the Duomo in, in Florence being built, the, the cathedral there. Anyway, one day he was asked by somebody who was passing by what he ate for breakfast and he said, eggs. Now, one year later, the same man walked past Dante again, and he tested Dante's memory by saying, how?
0: And Dante's quick response was, with salt. Maybe he just didn't talk to many people. <laughs> that was a, one continuous conversation as far as he was concerned. The following year, I was thinking that
1: guy's late, because I needed to tell him that I also had some cress. I, I have heard of other people who do that. The 20th century physicist called Paul Dirac used to be able to do that. He could sort of, continue conversations from the sentence 20 years after the last line with many people wow i'm like the anti-allegary
2: <laughs> anti-allegary <laughs> anti-allegary that's a new thing i'm coining that phrase
0: do it do you remember what I, it was? I will if I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> But Dante sort of is the the name that is remembered much more than, um, in fact, I (laughs) can't...
1: Focaccia. Uh, I was going to say... The problem with... (laughs)
0: focaccio is, is exactly that i keep mixing him up with various types of bread so
1: it comes out of my out of my brain all did wrong did you did you know that the focaccio was only invented about 30 years ago no i did not i thought that was a super old recipe no i love focaccio <laughs> we get off topic guys So it's like eating a mattress yeah i love <laughs> you mattresses yeah. you're a mattress muncher <laughs> if that's if, if that's not a euphemism i don't know what it is <laughs>
0: Got... <laughs> but Alighieri kind of got all the plaudits right and didn't Paul Boccaccio is largely forgotten I would say I hadn't heard of Boccaccio even though he had the very successful at the time book when I was looking at the most famous novels he's number two
2: in Italian's list of best ever books
1: so the Italians know him quite well then yeah
0: yeah I wonder how famous Chaucer is outside of the UK and in the English speaking world yeah
2: now the Decameron is Boccaccio's most famous work but he did actually write other literature too, right? And um, one of which was Declares Mulerebus And it's a collection of biographies of about 100 notable women. But one of the stories that stood out to me from these 106 stories, he likes 100 stories. I was wondering that. (laughs) Yeah, was widely believed to uh, be true, but most modern scholars now consider to be fictional. So it sort of fits in with the theme. Now, the story tells of a woman called Joan, who was a talented and learned woman who would often disguise herself as a man at the request of her lover. Skip over reasons (laughs) why. (laughs) Eventually, her lover entered the church, and because she wanted to spend time with him, she entered the church too, dressing as a man called John. Now, after distinguishing herself as a scholar, Joan, or John, rose quickly through the hierarchy until eventually, in the year 855, she was elected as Pope John VII. Now, she ruled for more than two years, keeping her gender concealed beneath flowing holy robes. until in 858 a secret was finally revealed when during a papal procession, which is like a big march, uh, she unexpectedly went into labor
1: and gave birth which
0: would give it away. <laughs> That is a hell of a giveaway. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, sadly, for Pope John... she didn't have a virgin birth. (laughs) I guess not.
2: So sadly, for Pope John, or Pope Joan, uh, she died shortly afterwards. Now, Boccaccio doesn't say how she died, but some say it was because of result of childbirth, and others say that she was dragged behind a horse and stoned to death. Those
0: are quite different endings. Very (laughs) different endings,
2: yeah. Uh, Regardless, after her death, the church uh, avoided having any processions in the spot where Joan had given birth and most notably they removed in quotes female Pope from its official lists and they crafted a ritual to ensure that all future Popes would be male and I think you can imagine what eh? that ritual would be (laughs) yeah now some scholars say that she may actually have existed but was expunged from church histories after you know (laughs) the shocking revelation but most historians seem to dismiss the story as myth Uh, they point to there being no reliable references of of her during her lifetime and also the fact that her supposed reign overlapped with two other more well-documented popes, Leo IV and Benedict III. And they suggest that Pope Joan is in fact anti-papal satire popularised by disgruntled monks. Don't want a
0: disgruntled monk. They've got all the paper. Disgruntled monk sounds like an awesome bandit. <laughs> well, that sounds excellent. I'm going to choose to believe it on the grounds that it sounds hilariously fun. Now, Ryan, we're talking about Boccaccio. And I had a little look because I wanted to find out how people responded to Boccaccio's work. Now yeah. I don't know how they felt about his uh, stories about women, but certainly the uh the Cameron was widely regarded by the church as a bit naughty. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we know why. So I found something quite interesting. In 1497, Dominican friar Girolamo Savonarola had a bonfire with him and his followers of sinful art and literature in the center of Florence, and that bonfire was known as the Bonfire of the Vanities. No, oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, so the there's a a book obviously called The Bonfire of the Vanities," but the the origin of this phrase is from this bonfire of all these profane works that were thrown onto the fire by this friar and the Decameron was one of those books he was a fire friar he he was a fire friar (laughs) a fiction friar um So then that got me looking into just the general prohibition of books in the Catholic Church. But the Decameron was also put on a list. This is a a list that the Catholic Church created. It's called the Index Librorum Prohibitorum. I love that. The Index of Prohibited Books.
1: Which immediately, any time a book goes on it, it sells sore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. And when you've got a good printer going, that's absolutely true. Uh, I think the first list, the Index of Prohibited Books, was in 1559. I've seen 1560 as well. But the Decameron was also on this list as was Machiavelli's The Prince so they had something in common they were indexed by this book Uh, it turns out that the uh, list of prohibited books
1: actually stayed in existence
0: until was it something
1: like 1965 or something yeah
0: this list ran into a a 20th edition the final edition which came out in 1948 wow formally abolished in 1966 by Pope Paul VI was it really Paul well was it Paula Pauline who knows <laughs>
1: Paulneck
0: I think is best. Mr. Dursley, are you an exponent of the art of Machiavellian cunning?
1: I am not no I think there are quite a few people around at the moment who are
0: so you prefer the you consider yourself a principled man who would not stoop to the Machiavellian machinations
1: well I, I like I do like to think that if I say something I'll stick to it whatever obviously there would be certain situations but I think just just because the wind changes direction you don't necessarily turn against everything that you've believed on in the past but um when you when you read Machiavelli my recollection, which may be flawed, is that
0: he isn't just like ah, do what you want to get power. It's in order to do good, you must have power, mm-hmm. and in order to have power, you must be prepared to make some pragmatic statements and decisions. So it's often presented as a kind of moral free work. But, that, but it's that, not that's really.
1: an a priori assumption that it's the people who should be in power get into power by this method. It's self fulfilling, isn't it? Well, I think it's it's
0: more that Machiavelli observed that the people who lied and cheated got to power, and if you want to get power and thereby be helpful and useful you simply you're going to be lied around so you might as well lie i suppose yeah
2: it's it's a weird thing when you when you're reading it if, if you have a moral core you can't help but sort of push back against it but at the same time you can't help but also embrace it because you know that there's truth to it there's truth behind the lies <laughs> <laughs> there is right i mean you know that the reality is is that no one's going to vote for you if you say i'm going to increase taxes
0: yeah it's i i, I find it very challenging because it's the there's also a risk though you start where you make your compromise you say well I've got to be empowering I am going to be a really really good king yeah so I have to be empowered to be really really good so to get there I'm going to be moderately bad and then what is the day on which you go right it's time to start being good now <laughs> it's like that must be you increments you get so accustomed to compromising duplicity and uh cheating that w- when do you stop doing that you you, you probably don't in most instances no because the next thing comes up and you think well I've got to hang on to power now so right I'm Got to continue to lie and you never get around to doing that good thing that you were hoping to do when you made it to power mm.
1: which you've forgotten no doubt yeah. once you have power and all of all, all of the luxuries that are entailed yes yeah, so every time i get back into bed in my
0: bed of money i think well it was something i was supposed to do today wasn't
2: it <laughs> i don't understand how it's still relevant like how come after all these hundreds of years of all these politicians lying we all recognize that politicians lie and yet then one comes along and we all stand behind them and go yes this person speaks for me
0: well i guess it's how many times you're exposed as a liar isn't it because there is the classic thing of in a relationship someone says i would like you to be honest but actually what they mean is i want you to tell me the things i want to hear and also say it honestly because if you say something like i can't bear you and you're super annoying they won't be very happy even though you've been very honest as they claimed they wanted to, you to be you say that to me all the time though yes <laughs> are you saying you're lying <laughs> i wouldn't dare to dare to comment but you did say um, in terms of the refer- the relevance ongoing relevance of Machiavelli yeah there is a kind of modern equivalent of the prince which is quite popular in prisons and really? in the hip-hop community and in various <laughs> celebrities for, for real okay it's a book called the 48 laws of power which is a kind of modern Machiavelli it's by a guy called Robert Green an American author it was a New York Times bestseller it sold over 1.2 million copies but yeah it's been banned in loads of prisons because it's basically ways to manipulate people and and be powerful this guy I guess started working as a writer in Hollywood and he looked at the elites and he went oh I see how all these people behave Mm. and it's kind of a modern version of the prince it's been called a mega cult classic and also been called a terrible thing Uh, but it's turned him into a a hero and it's really popular apparently in prisons (laughs) (laughs) I mean that sounds like a modern Machiavelli it does doesn't it should we all read it and then try and one up each other manipulate each
2: other (laughs) in the next (laughs) episode (laughs) like (laughs) game of history happened everywhere
0: well this is your opportunity man perhaps you should do something now to manipulate Dursley into giving you a good grade oh okay um Hey, Paul.
2: <laughs> now,
0: that is spooky.
2: So. Or oh, frightening, Pete, actually. Pete's been saying horrible things to you, but I've been defending you. Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah, but you never sent me any gifts this week, did you? Yeah, let's move on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I did. I definitely sent you lots of really expensive, delicious Italian foods. I can't help it if the post office doesn't
0: deliver. But you still didn't get anything, <laughs> did you, at the end of the day? <laughs>
2: you're still trying
0: to manipulate me. <laughs> A better way of manipulating him would have been to send him stuff, of course. <laughs> that would have been the honourable thing to do. Uh, is it honourable to bribe your way to victory? You did. Yeah, I don't claim to be honourable. <laughs> Well, Brian. Yes, Peter. We've come to the end of the line, sir. Oh no. It's time to step into the dock, sir. Yes. And prepare to face the people's judge. I can do that. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict, Your Honor?
1: Yes, I am.
0: So will the defendant. Please rise. I have risen. Your Honor, as we start proceedings, can we as mm. usual ask for your verdict on
1: factual content? The factual content was mostly pretty good on this one. I'm going to be I'm going to be positive on this one. Uh um, I tonight. I like I like the period. I like the sort of the concept of all the little states. I, I was concerned that you kept on talking about Italy when it didn't actually exist, so but I suppose the anachronism is allowed. Thank you, Your Honor. Because all of the people that you mentioned, or most of the people that you mentioned, were not actually Italian. So you're great for factual content? You might be surprised. I will give you a B minus.
0: I'll take That's it. solid. That's solid. OK, now, in the world of fiction entertainment, or fiction facts, as Ryan put it, uh, did you laugh? Did you cry? What was the entertainment value, Mr Dursley?
1: Well, I would like to know who wrote certain skits, although I, I did like the Columbus one. I will give you a C. C+. Very nice. C plus. Very nice.
0: OK, and okay, now the ever-unpredictable wild card. If we can have your grade, sir, for... Dursley Factor?
1: Well, I have a bit of a soft spot for this era. Uh, it's sort of when science started to be understood and the scientific method started to be understood properly in the West and alongside that you were getting sort of, it's not, not the Enlightenment yet, but you were sort of starting to see the Renaissance and and that coming out. So um, I'm going to be positive and give you a B for that. Nice. Ooh, a B. Solid B for Dursley Factor. You deftly touched Dursley's soft spot. Oh, <sighs> that's what it was.
0: <laughs> that was the appetiser. Now we have reached the final verdict, the main meal. Brian, before the judge passes his verdict, you have your chance to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make your plea now. I do choose to, yes. Are
1: you sure? Yes, I definitely <laughs> do. You, you know, you've worked out the average of those grades so far.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have, and I still feel like I have something to say. Oh dear. Your Honour, you have just said that you have a soft spot for the time period, and I'll I just remind you that I picked that time period as my wild card choice. I, I know that you don't like fiction, so I told the truth throughout. I, I included risque stories about naughty things, which I know you like,
1: <laughs> men... <laughs> men with wine barrels uh, and it wasn't over a barrel was it it was just outside the barrel <laughs>
2: uh-huh. and I included a murdered grasshopper which I thought you would enjoy and I hope the judge recognises that thank you very much you're on I stand out But well, that was good that was
0: a good plea I'm impressed by that Yeah, I wrote but- some stuff down as well
1: <laughs> so did you get that out of the print how to manipulate me to give you a good grade.
0: I've written my own book called The Judge.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you're ready, Your Honour, I ask most respectfully for your ruling. Okay, I'm going to give you a B minus. Nice! Oh my goodness, the crowd goes wild. The confetti bursts everywhere.
0: That's amazing. Have a little high five. Nice. I love that. That was great. That's excellent. How do you feel, Ryan? Any words for the pre- assembled press? Uh, I, I'm stunned. Thank you.
2: Uh, I want to thank everyone for their contribution.
0: It's
1: mostly you, yeah. Really. Mostly <laughs> me. <laughs> but of course, if that stuff doesn't arrive in the post within the next few days, I will reduce that grade.
0: well that's it that is our show for this week if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just say hi you can reach out to us on social media through the website hhepodcast.com or email us pete and ryan at hhepodcast.com yep absolutely please do
2: we'd love to hear from you and you never know you might end up featured on a future show such as uh britain daniels who successfully identified bhutan in a
0: tiktok quiz Pete, and wrote to us to say that we were the reason why she got it right that's great well thanks britain and we we're obviously glad to be of service. We're educational and uh, fun as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and you can also feature by rating and reviewing the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Because reviews there push us out to a wider audience. And you know we want to be heard by as many people as possible. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or Mastodon, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And we'll be back again soon with our next episode. It's number 64. It's the Christmas special. It's Malta in the Atomic Age, 1915 to present, on the subject of Noel, uh, But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is,
1: you've been listening to... one thing i did know is when you were talking about early man in the alps you know he caused an international incident that chap uh, otzi the ice man yes because he was right on the border between i'm not sure whether it was italy and switzerland or italy and austria or even all three austria but they all claimed him as their own ah of course and they just look at his passport this should have looked at his logbook <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how did yeah, the italians so- win well, I'm not sure they did. I can just I've got visions of them kind of nudging the body towards the Italian side of the border. Sliding again. it down
1: the ice. <laughs> I think what actually happened was they sort of did exactly the opposite. They moved the border posts. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's Machiavellian.
0: Nice. B minus. B minus. Woo-hoo! That's a good grade. Get it
2: in log. Get it in the log, son. I'm doing it now.